Thank you, gentlemen, for leading us in worship. I'm soft-spoken by nature, and so I don't have much of a powerful voice. And after singing all of those great songs, pray for me that my voice even holds up through, uh, through this message. But pray that God's grace will sustain us all. Philemon. Approximately 4,000 years ago, a boy was born into a family. As the 11th son of 12 sons, he was his father's favorite. This, however, did not bode well for the young boy. In fact, as he grew, no matter which way he turned, opposition always met him. He was hated by his brothers, so much so that they could not even say one kind thing to him. Some wanted to kill him. Instead, they sold him into slavery and faked his death. As a slave, he grew in favor with his master, only to be framed by the master's wife for adultery he did not commit. Thrown in prison, he also grew in favor with the guards. Once when showing great kindness to another prisoner who was released, he was forgotten after that prisoner was freed. Yet in God's providence, He was eventually freed after interpreting the Pharaoh's dream and ultimately given the second highest rank in all of the land. His Hebrew name, Joseph. His Egyptian name, Zephanath-Paneah. A severe famine hits the land and Zephanath-Paneah oversees the delegation of food for the people. Lo and behold, as it would happen, the brothers come in search of the food. Zephanath-Paniah recognizes them, though they do not recognize him. With the power to kill them on the spot or turn them away to die a slow, starving death, how will he repay them? What will he do for all the harm that they have caused him? His response, Joseph wept great tears and said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. He comforted them. He spoke kindly to them, and he forgave them. In the year 1711, a four-foot, six-inch hunchback man suffering from a degenerative disease published part two of his work, ironically titled, An Essay on Criticism. Originating from this work is that familiar quote, to err is human, to forgive divine. You familiar with this? Was this 18th century Catholic poet by the name of Alexander Pope onto something? Are we all given to sin? Does the ability to forgive originate in God? Is it in our nature to do wrong and in God's nature to be long-suffering? Is it even possible for us to dismiss an offense? Does the Bible have any answers to these questions? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Indeed, God's word is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness and has much to say concerning sin and forgiveness. And this morning, we turn back to the little book of Philemon and continue our study. 
part one, last week, we looked at the first seven verses of Philemon. Many of you were here. If you were not, it is on our website if you'd like to listen to it. And there we discovered Paul's affectionate appeal to forgive Onesimus. That, for, that forgiveness was displayed in a generous faith and love. You, if you're taking notes there, you see that highlighted there for you. This is the foundation of forgiveness. These two vital ingredients of love for the saints and faith in Christ that refreshes the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to Philemon, the wealthy man who owns slaves and a home large enough for a church to meet and to accommodate guests. His wife, Afia, who is a manager of the house, would have direct relationship with the slaves, which is important for you in just a moment. Archippus, an elder, pastor of this church, the entire church, is who he is writing to. This foundation of forgiveness and undergirding his appeal to Philemon and the others, we discovered that this is all for Christ and his glory. The reason we do anything, especially forgive, is for Christ. And so now we turn to part two of this affectionate appeal. Part one was a display of a generous faith and love. Part two today is a display of Jesus. Said another way, part one was the foundation of forgiveness. And today, part two are the fundamentals of forgiveness. On the foundation of faith in Christ and love for the saints is the ability to generously forgive. And in verse 10 now, we'll discover who the offender is, the one committing the offense, namely Onesimus. While last week we looked at the offended, the one who was wronged, namely Philemon. So before we jump into these verses, let's ask this question. Well, who was Onesimus? We don't know necessarily that much. This short letter of 25 verses is really only our glimpse into Onesimus' life. He's also mentioned in Colossians 4, verse 9. Uh, you can read that on your own if you want. But we know from, uh, from this that Onesimus was a former slave of Philemon, though apparently he was not a very good one, called useless he was a runaway slave, he, uh, which running away was a bad crime. It was punishable by death or severe punishment. If you ran away and were caught, you were made to wear a collar that said, Catch me, for I have fled my master. Apparently, this runaway slave, Onesimus, had run away and fled to Rome, and he met Paul, who then led him to the Lord. There, after this conversion, he recognized his wrongdoing and desired to be reconciled to his master. He had then joined Paul in his gospel work while there in Rome, and now is potentially helpful in this house church that meets at Philemon's house. What was his offense? We're not really sure. He ran away, but we don't exactly know why. Was he being mistreated? Was Philemon a bad slave owner? We're not necessarily sure, but most likely not. As a believer here, as, uh, in uh, regards to Paul's affection towards Philemon, the appeal to his goodness, most likely he was not mistreating Onesimus. Probably was the case Onesimus just wanted freedom. And a long slave sentence was before him, so he ran away. Those days, uh, slavery was a little bit different. Yes, you could have a bad slave owner. Yes, they could be mistreated. But slavery in those days was different. 
Those days in the Roman society, there was no filing for bankruptcy. There was no social security. So if you found yourself in a great amount of debt and you sold all your possessions, but you could still not make up for your debt, that might lead to you selling yourself into slavery. You could have a long sentence then to pay that off. Other people just voluntarily went into slavery if they were born and they were low in society to improve their lot, to be a part of a better household. They may even voluntarily go into slavery. How Onesimus came into slavery, we don't know, but we do know that he was and that he ran away and that was not good no matter who your master was, whether he was a a harm, excuse me, a harsh a slave owner or a kind one, he ran away. So, to put this into perspective for us, we have Paul now pleading with the offended Philemon to forgive Onesimus, who is now a brother in Christ and desires to be accepted back. As we dig into the remainder of this letter, as we jump in in verse 8 and continue on, we will see now the fundamentals of forgiveness. It's important for us, though, to distinguish here that this should be the attitude of the forgiver when you and I are in a position to forgive. It is an entirely different situation when when the offender does not recognize his offense. It is also another, entirely another situation when you have offended someone and you are seeking their forgiveness. The basis of this letter is when you are in the position to forgive forgive. You have been wronged and need to offer forgiveness. The the case of forgiving another believer uh, uh, who has not recognized his sin or you need to go and seek forgiveness, that's another message for another Sunday. But today, now we look at the offering of forgiveness towards a brother in Christ. And so, beginning in verse 8, we see the, the first of eight fundamentals of forgiveness. If you are taking notes, you'll see them there handy for you. These fundamentals or attitudes of the heart. What should be the attitude of his heart? Look at verse 8 now of Philemon with me. Therefore, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake. I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Our first fundamental is delight, not duty. Let me say that again, delight, not duty. Paul had apostolic authority to order Philemon to obey, though he does not exercise it here. He rather appeals as a brother in Christ, something that you and I can do, that we have the, the ability in one another's life to, uh, to request that they obey, to uh, plead with them to obey and to offer forgiveness. True forgiveness now comes from the delight of our heart. We delight to have broken relationships mended. This is the delight of the prodigal's father when the son returns back to him. He doesn't just come trudgingly out uh, and begrudgingly forgive. He runs in delight and in love to accept his son back. This is the foundational love for the, ex- for the saints expressed in- to its greatest degree. Remember last week at the foundation, as we talked about this, that it's in love for the saints. That's at the foundation, and here is the appeal. We forgive others out of delight, not simply out of duty. It is the joy and love of our heart. Let's keep working through now. We're going to work through these eight fundamentals. The second one 
verses 10 and 11. If the first was delight, not duty, the second is recognize a changed life. Abundantly important in our attitude of forgiveness is recognizing, no, celebrating God's work in the offender's life to change his heart. Recognize that as a brother comes to you seeking forgiveness, that the Lord has done a work in his life. Paul refers to Onesimus here as his child in verse 10. This is affectionate language, tenderly, fatherly language. Is he really his son? Is he really begotten of Paul? No. This uh, Onesimus is rather a part of Paul's spiritual family tree. You may have remembered uh, in November when Brian preached through the Great Commission, he talked about our spiritual family tree. And as we lead others to Christ, they are then a part of our family tree. Someone has led you to Christ. And this is all originating in Christ, then the, 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 this great, big Christian family tree. And so I'll ask you, do you have a spiritual family tree? Can you say this of others? Those that maybe you have led to Christ, your own children, your neighbors, others who are a part of your spiritual family tree? Or does the branch stop at you? Are you growing the tree? Are, you, are there shoots coming off of your heritage? Or does it end with you? Continue to share the gospel. Continue to have an affection for other believers like Paul had for Onesimus, recognizing this changed life. It's also interesting here in verse 10 and 11 specifically of this of the wordplay here that Paul is using. You should know that uh, Onesimus, maybe, well, maybe you don't know, but Onesimus in Greek literally means useful. It's what his name means, is useful. Interesting as a slave, you know, typically slaves, as they would come in, they might get a, a name given to them. And so Onesimus was given the name useful. And in verse 11 here, you see, who was formerly useless to you. And now, now let me help you understand the, the wordplay here, because I think it's very interesting here. Useless in Greek is pronounced akrestos, okay? Akrestos is, is, uh, is useless. Onesimus, useful. Akrestos, useless. Which also in Greek, to be without Christ, Christless, is akristos. Do you see the, the, the connection here? It's a wordplay. Without Christ, akristos. Uh, useless, akristos. Without Christ, we're all useless. In Christ here, the, the plea here, what Paul is saying here, is now uh, Onesimus is in Christ. Now he is useful to you. Not useful as a slave necessarily, but he is useful for the gospel work. Christ in him has made him useful. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. We're not able to do anything. We're just a slave to sin. We're useful for only our sinful desires. But in Christ, it's a whole new ballgame. We become useful. The person at the head, the person controlling things, is always makes things better. It's a whole new ballgame. The Green Bay Packers are an entirely different team with Aaron Rodgers as quarterback. Makes things completely different. And this is exponentially more true in Christ. The dead are made alive. The dead are given ability. The dead are raised that recognize this changed life this is a fundamental of forgiveness as someone comes to you recognize the work that god has done in their life 
And this leads us then to our third fundamental, to embrace the gospel potential. Embrace the gospel potential, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 is really why some commentators believe that Onesimus is hand-delivering this letter. Could you imagine being in this situation of running away, fearing the consequences, meeting Paul, having a changed life, coming to Christ, and now going back to your master, seeking forgiveness, and handing him this letter? He's sending him to you. But he has embraced the gospel potential. Apparently, Paul was tempted to keep Onesimus. But he decided to do the right thing and send him back to Philemon, that forgiveness might be displayed. Paul had developed a close bond, a deep affection for him in the gospel work. This kinship that we've seen in the previous verses, like a father for his son, that he expresses this unified heart. It's how a dad is proud of his son's accomplishments. Even after the son goes off to college, he keeps the trophies and the ribbons around his accomplishments. Yet Paul does not hold on to him, but rather releases him to do what's right. And it's what? All for the gospel. So he can assist the church with Philemon. So he can go back. So the forgiveness that Philemon grants can be a picture of God's forgiveness of man. Brothers and sisters, as we forgive, we need to embrace the gospel potential here, to see the situation as it is, to know that in this changed life, now we've been given an opportunity. Here's another brother and sister to continue to make disciples. Here's another brother or sister to display Christ's forgiveness and ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Our fourth fundamental we find in verse 14. This is a willingness of heart. A willingness of heart. It's similar yet different than fundamental uh, uh, number one. Your own free will here literally means voluntarily. There's no string attached. It's not conditional. Paul offers no bribes or promises anything will happen. Forgiveness should be granted voluntarily, freely, willingly, regardless of the cost or the gain. This willingness to forgive is against our nature. It's against our nature to forgive freely. We withhold so we can hold it over somebody. Yet the charge here is to forgive freely. This should then be our reflex, not the stiff arthritic movements of our knee. It should be our reflex to willingly forgive. We forgive out of willingness of heart. Our fifth fundamental then, moving through these, is to understand God's providence. Understand God's providence. In verse 15 and 16 here, we see this fifth fundamental. Paul, the theologian, understands God's providential work in orchestrating these events, and he wants Philemon to see this too, to rise above the anger of a runaway slave, to rise above the shame of a runaway slave. This was God who caused it. God orchestrated these events so that something much better might happen. Onesimus is a new creation. He's no longer a slave, rather a slave to sin, but he's now a beloved brother, a new creation. This has significance for both his earthly status in the flesh and his eternal status in the Lord. 
He's no longer a slave to sin. He's no longer a slave, but he is a beloved brother. And it's here that we need to stop and realize these implications for Philemon. If he's going to forgive freely, it's going to come at great cost. His, the whole social implications are huge. His whole house, the business, the way of life can become chaotic. Can you imagine if he forgives, then others will say, well, he's too easygoing. Other slaves will run away then. He's a softy. His whole house has the potential to be in great disarray. He could be taken advantage of. They might say, oh, he just looks the other way. We can do whatever we want. What else will he overlook? This has great, great risk. The same is true of us. As we seek to rise above our our own anger, as we seek to rise above our own limited view, clouded by emotion, and see God at work, as we seek to forgive others freely, what will others think of you? If I forgive this, what will my other children do? What will other businesses think of me? Will they do business with me if I overlook this? If I forgive? Will my husband try it again? Ultimately, these things are not for us to worry about. It's not for us to worry about the what-ifs. We obey Christ and forgive freely. Recognizing, understanding God's providential work. He has orchestrated these things. He has turned their heart. He has done the greatest work already to change their heart to a recognition of sin and to come humbly seeking forgiveness. And as we recognize God's work in that, why do we think that he wouldn't work out the rest? God's working it out. Understand God's providence. As you are in the position to forgive, understand that he is at work. And this leads us to our sixth fundamental, kind of the climax of this whole letter here. These verses 17 through 19 are probably the reason this uh, small letter was even recognized as a part of the canon. Here we see Christ on display. Fundamental number six, namely, is imitate Christ. In these verses, Paul puts himself on the line. He vouches for Onesimus. His reputation is at stake. But why? To imitate Christ. Why did the, what do these verses bring to mind? Well, what does it bring to mind? Well, Christ has done on our behalf. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here Christ is on display. Here is the imputed word of Christ. What happened at the cross? The Father accepted Christ's death for us. All of our wrong was charged to Jesus. We don't even see one bill. Christ's death as a perfect God-man satisfied the Father. Do you see that in verses 17 through 19 in Paul's appeal to Philemon? If you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. God, Christ saying to the Father, accept this one on account of what I've done. If he has wronged you, all the sin he owes you, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Christ, you can see the, the, the scars in my hands. I will repay it. Christ's death has satisfied the wrath of the Father because of our sin. There's no greater act, brothers and sisters, there's no greater act that we can do here on earth to imitate Christ than to forgive freely. 
Let me say that again. There's no greater act we can do on this earth to imitate Christ than to forgive freely. Nothing displays greater the gospel of Jesus to forgive. A spouse who has committed adultery against you, a co-worker who has cheated you, a child who has lied to you, or a neighbor has, who has stolen from you. Remember, when we were in sin, Christ died for us and offered forgiveness. So here Paul chooses to imitate Christ. Philemon represents the father, Onesimus, mankind. Though it is interesting, in verse 19, lest Philemon get a big head and think he is perfectly like the father, he turns the tides a little bit and, remember, and reminds him that though here he be the creditor, he is also a debtor. He also has great debt to Paul. But I hope you see the picture here. Brothers and sisters, forgive freely and imitate Christ. What Christ has done for us. We have the extreme privilege to offer and to display and to magnify when we forgive freely. The seventh benefit, the seventh fundamental rather, is that it benefits others. Verse 20. This is like the the fruit that we discussed last week at the foundation. Paul brings it back here. It's like having a love for the saints that refreshes them. Remember the illustration, not just any refreshment. It's not just any old lemonade on a hot day. It's that lemonade on a hot day in the shade with the breeze being misted by cool water and fresh bounty, fresh new clothes. Forgiving another not only benefits the offender, When you offer forgiveness, it doesn't just benefit the one whom you are extending forgiveness to, but it also benefits the whole body of Christ as we watch from the sidelines. What will they do as the gossip and rumors go around? Oh, he's really hurt that person. And as the watching world waits, believers and non-believers, this is a great benefit to them. This is the evidence of the faith and love. Not a look at me, how holy am I? But it's for Christ. Displaying Christ through forgiveness encourages the saints. And our last fundamental here in verse 21 is to go above and beyond. Go above and beyond. The final fundamental is the icing on the cake. Paul here is expecting excellence and not just mediocrity. He's discontent with the status quo and just enough to get by. Yet Paul is confident that Philemon will go the extra mile to go above and beyond and not just his forgiveness, but also his obedience to Christ. Philemon has a great history of generosity. We've already seen this, how he's benefited others. And so this instance will be no different. As you have the opportunity to forgive and to forgive freely, go above and beyond. Don't just offer forgiveness and walk away. Think about what Christ has done for us. He has gone above and beyond. So now we have these eight fundamentals of forgiveness given to us by Paul in his affectionate appeal to Philemon. Yet these, are these things simply human, innate to the flesh? No. They are divine, magnified in Christ. Let's keep these eight things in mind as we think about how Christ has freely forgiven us. 
He delighted to do so. He changed our life, made us alive and useful. He gave us gifts to be used for the gospel. He voluntarily gave himself up, being forsaken by the Father. It's all a part of the plan. John 18 says that he knew all the things that were happening. He submitted himself to the Father's will. Not my will, but yours. He did it for the benefit and the encouragement of the body, giving us an example to live. And he didn't stop there. He didn't just declare forgiveness, but he lavished his love and his blessing, going above and beyond in divine abundance. Christ is the supreme example of what it means, what it costs to freely forgive. He has showed us how. Listen now as I read Matthew 18. Just listen here. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. This is Peter coming to Jesus. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him, and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. What a great example. Look at me here. Look at me now. The, the call then in this, the call in this example, the call from the book of Philemon then is to forgive freely. Do you hear that? Forgive freely. Forgive freely when it hurts. Forgive freely when it makes no sense. Forgive freely when it takes you 490 times. Forgive freely when it means great cost to you. No more excuses, no more grumbling, no more waiting around till you feel like it. Forgive freely. Paul's letter to Philemon closes with some final marks which I want to look at briefly before I close with some other final remarks. We need to forgive freely. As this book closes, as Philemon comes to a close here, as the charge to forgive freely comes, we see a few things. He requests a room. Verse 22. Not sure necessarily if he ever did, but he hopes, he asks that he prays that he'd be released from prison, that he might come. He, asks, he gives some final greetings from friends and fellow workers. 
These are these same workers here at the end of this book, mentioned in other letters. They're Paul's associates and ministries. And then lastly, a closing blessing of Christ's favor to minister to his deepest being. And so how do we put this all into practice? How do we forgive freely? How do we do this? This is all well and good. This is a great charge. But there's still the pain. There's still the risk. There's still the implications. How do we forgive freely? Let's go back to God's word. I want to read to you Psalm 103. Consider here. This is Paul rejoicing in us. We, as we consider how to forgive, we should rejoice as well. Rejoice in God's forgiveness first towards you. Listen to David's praise in Psalm 103. I'll just read the first 14 verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Sounds like David's rejoicing in the above and beyond. Verse 6, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Hope you hear the fundamentals uh, 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 coming out of this rejoicing of David here. So how do we put this into practice? How do we forgive freely? Well, first we consider, first we rejoice. Maybe for some of you, those people have come to mind. As I've been talking about forgiveness, there's people that immediately come to mind. People that you have a list of grudges, a list of offenses that you've held against them. Maybe some of you don't. So I plead with you, keep it fresh, because it's coming. We live in a broken world. Consider, how will we do this towards others? Think about these things. When should we do it? As quickly as you can. Don't withhold good from whom it's due. You might ask, well, what if they're out of my life now? What if they've died? How do I forgive them? What if they don't seek forgiveness? Well, do what's reasonable. If you need to express it to someone else, express it to a close friend, a brother, a sister in Christ. If it's un, uh, impossible to go to them. But remember, this is them coming to us. How do we do it? We consider the cost. We choose to obey Christ rather than to succumb to selfishness or the world's demands. So we consider these things. We consider them in our mind, but we don't just let it sit in our minds. We carry it 
out. C.S. Lewis said, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. That was in his reflections on Psalms. And so how do we carry this out? Well, one, make things right today with that person, immediately following this service. Let go of the bitterness, the control, the spite, and forgive freely. Don't be a slave to those things anymore in your life. Rather, forgive freely. Do it today. Forgive freely. And lastly, if there's no one to make it right with today, prepare for the future. Resolve in your heart today that when you are in a position to forgive, that you will imitate Christ and forgive freely. That when you are called upon to do it, there will be no gimmicks. You will just do it. Prepare yourselves for these things. Stop prepping for the end of days and start prepping for forgiveness. Stop prepping for uh, water and food and all those things and start prepping for forgiving your brothers and sisters. If we practice this, if we put these things into practice, if we took heed to Paul's affectionate appeal to Philemon, our world would be different. 2014 would be a different year if we carried this out. And what a glorious year it would be as we forgive one another. So my, I would submit to you as you ruminate over these things, as you consider these, as you are ready, motivated to carry these out, empowered by God's Spirit, let's make 2014 the year of forgiveness at KBC and beyond, and let's see what God does. Let's let this be the year of forgiveness where we uh, see God uh, calling others to himself and embracing the forgiveness that God has to offer and us being a body of believers who forgives freely one another. Let's let 2014 be the year of forgiveness. One where we are united in Christ. One where we celebrate communion like we will do today. 2014, the year of forgiveness. Let's take a moment now to just pray silently for just a moment. As you consider who you need to forgive, as you consider what you need to do, and in a moment, Pastor Chris and the others will come and we will do communion. So we celebrate what Christ has done in our life and the forgiveness that he has offered to us.